Macworld Podcast, number 44, July 12th, 2006. Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Macworld Podcast. Once again, I'm your host, Sarus Faravar. We have a packed show for you today. We're going to be hitting three major topics. We're going to be talking with senior editor Dan Freaks on his favorite multimedia Mac Gems. Uh, This is part of our Best of the Best Mac Gems feature uh, that is in the August 2006 issue of Macworld and is going to be available at macworld.com all this week. So make sure and check out some of those articles and find out some of the best Mac Gems that you may not have known about. And Mac Gems, of course, are our favorite sort of, you know, shareware and freeware apps uh, that can usually be had very inexpensively, but are very functional. And uh, some of them, you know, I don't know what I would do without. So, and we appreciate all the effort that the Mac developer community puts into making such great software. We're also going to be talking with Ted Wallingford, the man behind MacVOIP.com. He is, of course, the author behind the series of reviews on Mac VOIP programs. This is Voice Over Internet that is available in the July 2006 issue of Macworld. Um, and he wrote about Gizmo Project, iChat, SiteSpeed, and Skype, and he put them head-to-head and uh, gave his opinions on those. So we're going to be checking in with Ted uh, to find out why you might want to use one over the other and, and what it all means. Um, and, of course, his reviews and uh, other companion articles are available, of course, at Macworld.com, and all of these links will, of course, as per usual, be in the show notes. And finally, to close out the show, we're going to talk with Macworld senior editor Peter Cohen, who is our resident game expert, and he's going to be telling us about the new announcement that came this week from Aspire Media with a new thing that they're launching called Gamerhood, which is a new way to download Mac games directly from the internet to your Mac instead of having to go to a store to buy uh, CDs or DVDs of of stuff, which is just going to make it sort of into an iTunes music store type thing for Aspire games. Uh, so that should be easier, particularly for folks who are playing games on their laptops and may not, you know, have the CD or the DVD of the game that they want to play uh, when they want to play it. So this is going to make it a little bit easier for uh, fans of Aspire games. Um, they, of course, make Civilization, which is one of my favorite all-time Mac games, and I will be having an upcoming review of Civilization Four, which has just come out for the Mac uh, in the coming weeks. So look out for that. So we're going to be checking in with Peter Cohen at the end of the show, and we've just got all kinds of things to cover here in the podcast. So uh, without any further ado, we're going to check in with our good friend, senior editor Dan Frakes, to talk about the best of the best, Mac Gems. All right, Dan Frakes, thank you so much for being on the Macworld podcast. We greatly appreciate it. Glad to be here. So today we're here to talk about uh, the best of gems, the best of the best. The Now, these are programs that are sort of some of our favorites and some of your favorites, and these are really uh, the cream of the crop of ones that we've picked and looked at uh, over the last year, I believe. Actually, it's over the last like few years. We went through and looked at all the Mac Gems we've ever rated, which is about 500 now, and we picked out all the five mouse-rated uh, products, and then as well we picked the four-and-a-half and four-rated four products that we thought really stood out for some reason or were really unique. Huh, I didn't realize that it went back that far. Yeah, it's like two or three years now, I guess. Is Of course, we didn't include anything that was so old that it was no longer relevant or no longer worked. But, but uh, yeah, there are some, there are some uh, items in the list that are actually pretty old but still work great. All right. Well, that's good to know. 
Um, so we're here to talk about the Best of Gems multimedia apps, and this, of course, includes uh, some audio listening and uh, various other audio utilities that can be used with iTunes and the iPod. Um, one of my and, and, and also and also some multimedia things, graphics and uh, iMovie type things. Right. Um, I wanted to start off um, with uh, probably one of my favorite all-time apps, just in general, um, and this is the second one on this list, uh, and that would be Graphic Converter X uh, 5.9.1. Um, I, I don't know about you, but I've used Graphic Converter for a really long time, and I, I just really I use it probably on a nearly daily basis, just as you said uh, in the article, some sort of just simple uh, you know, image-type conversion uh, and other things. What are What are some of the things that you like about it? Yeah, like you, yeah, I've been using it for years. I mean, probably at least ten years. I, I believe it's been around that long, uh, and it's gotten uh, it's way more functional. I mean, I remember when it first came out, it was mainly just sort of a conversion app, and then did some basic editing. But now it does lots more than that, and I use it every day. I mean, I could use Photoshop for a lot of the things I use Graphic Converter for, but Graphic Converter is smaller, uses you know a lot less memory, and um, it's not for the things I'm using for. It's perfect. Um, I use it for uh, putting up uh, screenshots for the Mac Gems web blog, for doing um, you know f- uh, images for a playlist and Macworld reviews, and uh, use it on a daily basis to convert convert between formats. And uh, for thirty bucks, it's a real bargain when you consider that Photoshop you know is several hundred. Right. So if if you don't need Photoshop's features, then Graphic Converter is a great substitute. Right. And I should point out um, that one of my favorite features, and probably one of yours too, I would guess, is uh, its ability to do batch conversion. Right. Right. Yeah, you just pick a folder, pick a pick a destination format, and click a button, and it converts everything right for you. Right. Photoshop doesn't do that, I don't think. You know, I don't think so. I don't think it does unless you use um, Photoshop scripting abilities. Right. Well, great. That's a that's definitely one of my favorites in this in this list. Um, let's take something a little bit more wacky, a little bit uh, less functional, but um, still nonetheless great. Uh, and that's the the first one in the list, uh, which is Comic Life one point two point six. Tell us about this program. You know, when we discovered this about a year ago, and actually we gave it a uh, Macworld Eddie Award, it takes your photos and turns them into comic books. Um, it uses traditional comic book cells and, um, you know, uh, vocal and, and, and sound effect balloons. Uh, you can take a, an iPhoto album and, and just bring it in directly from iPhoto, or you can drag your own photos in and just arrange them however you want in a, in, in a comic book. Um, you can create your own little storyline. Um, lots of funny ways you can uh, you can adjust pictures and adjust text and stuff, and you end up with a really professional looking comic book uh, that can be printed or you can send it off through iPhoto to get a you know a book made, uh, and it's just a really cool thing and cool cool way to use your photos that uh, when we first saw it we'd never really thought of before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that seems something something fun. Have you actually used your own photos and, and used Comic Life? Yeah, we've used it to play around a little bit for for friends, you know, send out some some comics, uh, sort of comic albums to uh, to relatives and friends and stuff, you know, family to pictures, things like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, um, for the next one, I wanted to talk about, uh, and this is a program again that I use probably nearly every day. Uh, and this is the fourth one in the list, uh, the multimedia player VLC Media Player zero point eight point five, uh, which got a four and a half mouse rating. Um, tell us why VLC is so great and why someone might want to use it over QuickTime. Well, John Seff, who wrote the original review of this, is a big fan. And um, I think all of us use it at one point or another for media that QuickTime can't handle 
or um, just things that VLC handles better than QuickTime. It's got some additional features um, for handling things like DivX and MPEG 1, 2, and 4. Uh, it can do things like offsetting audio and video. So, for example, if you wanted to uh, use uh, AirTunes or something like using Airfoil, which we also cover in this, in this article, to send a DVD uh, audio to uh, remote speakers, the problem is that they're offset by a little bit, the audio and video. So you can actually delay the video using VLC so that they sync up. Um, and it also just it has a bunch of other features, um, organization features, playlist type features for video that, um, that uh, QuickTime doesn't have. Mm-hmm. I should say also one thing as a, as a laptop user, one thing that I like about VLC also is that it has a much louder volume control than QuickTime really? does. Yeah, I, I don't know if you, that. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but yeah, if you're if you're limited to just playing videos or any kind of sound off mm-hmm. of your laptop, the VLC uh, you know, software amplifier or volume controller or whatever you call it goes actually louder than normal like Apple apps and okay. nor- the normal Apple system volume. You can turn it to 11. Yeah, basically, it goes past 11, in fact. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, now, let's take, uh, uh, speaking of audio, uh, the next one right after VLC on this list is uh, Amadeus 2 version 3.8.7, and that got a 4.5 uh, mouse rating. Um, what's your experience with Amadeus? Uh, it, it stri- Amadeus strikes me as sort of the audio version of Graphic Converter in the sense that it does a lot of the features that a bigger program like, say, Pro Tools or GarageBand could do that, you know, but for a lot less money. Right. And that's exactly it. It's sort of the, the, uh, it's sort of the graphic converter to uh, audio's Pro Tools. It can do most of the, your basic recording things that, that someone who doesn't need Pro Tools complexity and uh, feature set can do for 30 bucks. And it can do, um, you know, multiple track recording, uh, you can use it to record a podcast or, um, you know, take your, your audio cassettes and co- hook your tape deck up to your Mac and, and, and record them to, to MP3 files, things like that. And it also lets you clean up um, uh, MP3, AAC, you know, various uh, audio files and uh, do some basic editing and processing of them. And so it's just sort of a, a lower cost version for people who don't need all the extra features. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, just to close things out, I wanted to touch on some of the iPods, iTunes transfer tools, and, and you've got listed here iPod Disk version 1.3 and Sanudi version 0.33. And this is probably something that, you know, you being a, a guy who's, you know, writing about the iPod all the time, people probably come to you probably every day nearly and, and ask you, you know, how do I get stuff from my iPod to my Mac? Um, yeah, it, you know, it's it's one of the most frequent questions we get. And the truth is that some of these people are are – clearly going to be using this to try to you know, steal music by you know, borrowing their friend's iPod and grabbing all the music off of it. Uh, because, um, I mean, the reason they're necessary, of course, is because Apple doesn't allow you to, they don't make it easy for you to connect your iPod to your Mac and then transfer files in that direction. But there are good reasons why someone might need to use this. For example, what if you your hard drive crashes and all your music's on your iPod, but it's no longer on your on your hard drive? Or, um, you know, it, it, it's, I mean, there's, there's just a lot of reasons why people might do this. If you manually manage your iPod and then you accidentally delete stuff from your computer. So basically, there are ways to get the music off your iPod and onto your Mac. And the, both of these are excellent. The main difference is how they work. Uh, Sanudi, which is iTunes spelled backwards, um, it looks like iTunes, gives you an iTunes interface. You can browse um, tracks just like you would in iTunes and then 
click the songs you want and just click a button and it downloads it to your computer. iPod Disk, on the other hand, mounts your iPod as if it was a folder in the, in the Finder. And so you can browse your uh, iPod's music contents just as if you would in the Finder going through artists, albums, genres, and then just drag and drop to copy things over. So two different ways to do things, but they both do the same thing, and they're both great if you ever need this this functionality. Do you have a personal preference? Uh, you know, usually I like Sanuti because of the iTunes interface, but if I need to grab a whole album or something, or if I know exactly what I'm looking for, um, iPod Disc is a little easier. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, um, Gems, are, you know, you do a great job of covering... Um, Mac Gems, and uh, thank you. This is the best of the best, so I'm sure that that people out there will will uh, get a whole lot of use out of them. I know, I know, I use probably I use Graphing Converter, VLC, and Sanuti once in a while, but those two definitely I I don't think I could live without. Yeah, there's some great things out there, and that's uh, that's what we try to do on Mac Gems is find the ones that people may not know about and let them know about them. Um, and we've got uh, this, the article is in the uh, August issue. And we're putting up, uh, each day this week, we're putting up a different section of it on the website. So by the time people listen to the podcast, there should be several sections from the article up. Great. Well, Dan, we always appreciate your taking the time to be on the podcast and keep up the good work. Sure. Thanks, Bruce. Okay. We'll talk to you soon. Okay. That was senior editor Dan Frakes talking about his article on the best of the best Mac Gems, which is available in the August 2006 issue of Macworld and, of course, online at macworld.com. Now we're going to check in with... Ted Wallingford, he is the author of the review of VOIP applications, Voice over Internet Protocol applications, that is available in the July 2006 issue of Macworld and, of course, on Macworld.com. And we're going to check in with him as to how some of these uh, Voice over Internet programs stack up against each other. So here's an interview with Ted Wallingford. All right. Well, uh, Ted Wallingford, thank you so much for being on the Macworld podcast. We greatly appreciate it. Thank you. So we're here today to talk about uh, some of the new voiceover IP applications, and you reviewed four of them in the July 2006 issue of Macworld, and the article is also available at Macworld.com. I wanted to start off first by um, seeing if of the four, if uh, and the four being Gizmo Project, iChat AV, Speeds, or excuse me, SiteSpeed, uh, and Skype, and I was wondering out of those four. Is there anyone uh, that you found to be your favorite or that really stood out for you? Well, I really like uh, Gizmo from the standpoint of it's got a lot of cool extras that you don't get with any of the other packages. Um, For example, it's got built-in call recording. Uh, If you do a lot of podcast interviewing or if you just have uh, a reason to record uh, your calls. It's just very easy. There's a little button right in the UI as the call is in progress. You just click record and boom, it creates a file for you that you can listen to later. And, I really and it records both ends of the conversation. Yeah, it sure does. And it actually uh, it does a pretty good job of balancing the levels because a lot of times, especially with traditional telephony, the, the remote end of the call is always quieter. Yeah, but uh, Gizmo doesn't really struggle with that very much. So the call, the call recordings are good. The interface is a lot like Skype. I mean, it looks and feels an awful lot like Skype. It has a buddy list. It has, uh, you know, uh, away messages and that kind of status messages and that kind of thing like a typical IM program. So it's very Skype-like in that respect. Um, but it also has some superior uh, call conferencing. 
and uh, you know it's more of a serious program, uh, which really comes from a serious telephony company, a company called Zipphone. So uh, you know, and of course it's free, which is you know tough to beat. I think the, right now the the one program of the four that we looked at that's really behind all of them is iChat. Why is that? Well, it doesn't support any kind of um, uh, PC to telephone or Mac to telephone calling, which is uh, something that the other three now support. Now, when when MacWorld reviewed SightSpeed, it hadn't added that feature yet, but uh, that feature was one beta away from reality and, and now has been released to the public. So SightSpeed, well, which is another one that I like an awful lot, um, supports video calling, supports, uh, and that's that's uh, computer-to-computer video calling, computer-to-computer audio calling, um, like Skype and Gizmo, and then it also supports computer-to-phone calling, uh, like Skype and Gizmo. So it's, you know, feature-wise, it's on par with Skype and Gizmo, but also gives you the benefit of being able to do video calls with uh, with Windows users, which is something that I think only recently became uh, possible with iChat. Mm-hmm. I think probably most people are are probably most familiar with iChat AV and Skype, uh, just because Skype is sort of, I guess, the kind of behemoth among the group, and iChat, of course, comes with all new Macs. Um, For Skype, which is a program that I use a lot, um, I know it has a feature where you can buy a phone number that serves as sort of your phone number for when people call you, you know, for example, if you're traveling and you want your family or your friends from your local area to be able to call you with a local call from wherever you are, um, you know, they can do that. Do some of the other ones offer features similar to that? Sure. Uh, Skype calls that a Skype in number. Um, uh, Gizmo, I think, calls it a phone in or a call in number. And uh, SightSpeed also offers uh, similar functionality. Although uh, your mileage will vary vary in terms of which area codes you can actually obtain a number in, uh, certain areas are underserved. Rural areas sometimes are hard to get a a local phone number in. I was talking to a guy the other day that was halfway between L.A. and San Francisco, and he couldn't get a local number on Skype or any of those uh, programs. So, Mm-hmm. But you know, if you live in a if you live in a big city, or if you're from an urban area and you're traveling around abroad, yeah, it's a great way to save your frequent contacts, um, long distance, you know, calling fees and so on, especially on international calls because those are the ones that are really expensive right now. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that you would say that is something that across the board that these various programs would need to do? Is is uh, I know you know in sort of the early days of of uh, VOIP that, you know, the quality of, of the call was something that was sort of still struggling. How far has it come? Well, it's come a long way. Um, I think a lot of that has to do with the speed that's available to most um, broadband subscribers, uh, the speed of their connection. As the connections become faster and faster and as they um, get the packets through the pipe faster and faster, the quality of the voice conversation is bolstered and becomes better and better. And so a lot of people have broadband now, and the, the broadband speeds have increased greatly. Uh, the, the 256K DSL of three years ago is almost a thing of the past now. Uh, cable connections are very fast. And I was talking to a guy in Manhattan today that is getting ready to have fiber installed in his building. 
uh, from Verizon. So the Internet access speeds are so fast that there should really never be uh, a major quality problem with any voice over IP service that isn't the fault of the service uh, because the, the network infrastructure is just so fast now around the country. What about uh, reliability? I mean, I know as a Skype user, uh, I know that sometimes, you know, even though like I'm here in my office in San Francisco and we have a, you know, a shared T1 connection for the building, which should be plenty fast, you know, occasionally I'll get um, things like, uh, you know, some sound will drop out or there will be some interference or something. Um, you know, is there is there anything that that people can do about about that? Well, you know, Skype suffers from a, a, a distributed design. In other words, when they put Skype together, when they designed it, when they architected it, it, it was it used a networking technology that was modeled after Kazaa, which is that sort of file sharing network that uh, I think still exists uh, that people used to trade movies and and so forth on you know music files and whatnot. And that distributed network was designed to be uh, to make use of as many computers as possible to relieve the load on the centralized uh, management server or host on the network. So, in other words, there was no real centralized sort of uh, server that, that uh, was authoritative on that network. And when Skype came out, they kind of used the same approach, and consequently when you make a Skype call it's actually being routed through other PCs on the internet and um, you know other endpoints Skype users on the internet uh, may be routing your call without even being aware of it and what that means is if you know if one of their PCs is running poorly or if one of their internet connections is swamped at the moment then your call could suffer as a result so Skype kinda adds the additional dimension of that distributed network approach to um, to the mix whereas the other services don't really suffer from that problem I will say this though Skype has a very cool um, audio codec which is adaptive and allows them to kind of compensate for changes in the quality of service during the call uh, which is something that the other players really haven't uh, really haven't mastered yet all right well we'll keep that in mind uh, I think that about wraps it up for us. Um, we appreciate your, your taking the time to be on the podcast. Thank you very much. That was Ted Wallingford, the man behind MacVOIP.com, as well as the author of VOIP Applications, an article available in the July 2006 issue of Macworld and on Macworld.com. And finally, for our last interview of the day, we're going to be hearing from Macworld senior editor Peter Cohen, our resident game expert, uh, to talk about the new announcement this week from Aspire Media about their new program, Gamerhood, how you can download Mac games directly from Aspire Media. So here's Peter Cohen. All right, Peter Cohen, uh, thanks so much for being on the Macworld podcast. We greatly appreciate it. Oh, as always, uh, Sarus, it's my pleasure. So we're here to talk to you today about uh, Aspire Media's announcement this week about their new program or their new, I guess, gaming store uh, called Gamerhood. Tell us about it. Yeah, my running joke on this is it's Mr. Welcome to Mr. Rogers' Gamerhood because Mike Rogers is the uh, the president of Aspire. But Gamerhood is going to be a new software application that you're going to be able to download this fall that will let you. Um, it it kind of takes the place of an existing product called Aspire Game Agent, which Aspire already has out in the world, and and what that does is it 
lets you take a look at what Aspire's current library is and compare um, those games to uh, your computer uh, to figure out you know what games will run well on your Mac. It's it's nice, but it doesn't go far enough. People are looking for an easier way of um, getting games on their Macintosh, and that's what Gamerhood is going to do for them. It's not just going to let them you know take a look at Aspire's library. Um, but it's also going to let them purchase games and download them, sort of the same way the iTunes Music Store works. Yeah, and you had a really interesting point, I thought, in your article on Macworld.com from Monday, um, talking about how because now that Aspire doesn't have to worry about you know shipping boxes and taking up shelf space, they're able to sell games that you know maybe weren't as popular, but nonetheless could make them a bit of money. Absolutely. Um, to, to listen to Michael Rogers talk about um, gamerhood, it sounds like there were three specific things that Aspire was trying to address. The first one is that you know people are increasingly using MacBooks, MacBook Pros, and other you know Mac older Mac laptops as well um, in in their day to day work. And for those folks, having discs on hand is really kind of obnoxious. Uh, you know, m- m- most of the com- commercial games that you buy nowadays that you go out and buy in the stores require you to have either the CD or the DVD actually in the drive while you're playing it. It's a form of copy protection that the game publishers use in order to uh, make sure that people aren't ripping them off, frankly. Uh, The only problem with that is that if you're a a laptop gamer and you want to play your games on the road, let's say that you're taking a cross-country flight or you've got a long commute and you want to play a game, the last thing you want to do is bring um, you know, a, 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 a folder of discs with you just so you can play those games. I mean, that's why we got iPods, so we could get rid of carrying around CDs. So um, Gamerhood is going to do that. They're going to use, a, I guess you could call it a digital rights management system that will uh, enable you to download and play games without having a CD or DVD actually in the drive in order to play. The second thing that they're hoping to do is to uh, interest people in a wider variety of games than uh, they currently um, have the ability to offer in retail stores. As Rogers put it, shelf space is pretty limited for Mac games, uh, whether you go to the Apple Store or CompUSA or you know, even the, uh, the, 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 the mom-and-pop retail stores that still exist, the independent resellers that are still around. Um, you don't find a lot of space for games in, in those places. And uh, Rogers explained that typically when Aspire has a new release like Civilization IV, which I know has been a big uh, favorite of yours, Saruz, um, they have to pull another game in order to, to, to put it on store shelves. Um, they, they don't have an unlimited amount of space, so they may actually have to take games out of circulation that are still selling well. Um, in order to get the hot new games that they want to um, make available uh, on store shelves. So this gives them another opportunity to sell those games that might still be very saleable, just not um, as hot as they once were. We're also hoping that this is going to mean that Aspire can resurrect some titles um, that have been, um, you know, gathering dust for a while as well. Aspire's got a huge back catalog. This is a company that goes back with Mac uh, game publishing for for a decade now. So they've, uh, you know, they brought the Tomb Raider games to the Mac. They brought a lot of uh, extreme sports games to the Mac. They've got an absolutely huge catalog. So it would be great to see uh, many of, of, of those older games come back, especially if they could update them for newer systems. That would be fabulous. Um, the, the, the third aspect of Gamerhood that is very important to Aspire is improving the overall gaming experience for Mac users. And what this means is having a coherent and consistent way for doing stuff like 
well, let's say downloading um, software updates um, that affect your games, you know, g- game updates, uh, patches, and, uh, and upgrades, being able to get your hands on new content for games. So uh, they're taking that into account as well with Gamerhood. And, you know, what this hopefully will mean is that, you know, people who, um, who are buying games through Gamerhood are having a better experience uh, being able to, to get a, a broader selection of games and having an easier time finding games. Um, than they have been in the past. Do you think that, I mean, given that Aspire is such a large part of the Mac gaming market, do you think that this will sort of set a precedent and that other uh, Mac gaming companies might want to do a similar thing or perhaps maybe enter into a partnership with Aspire to get their games on, on their store? Well, the interesting thing is that the precedent has already been set. I mean, you know, what Aspire is doing really is no different from what Shareware uh publishers have been doing now for years, uh, which is making their products available online. Uh, Aspire is one of the first major Mac game publishers to step forward with uh, an online content distribution system, but they're not the, they're not the first. Um, uh, Virtual Publishing is a company in the UK that struggled to get uh, its games on uh, store shelves both here and in Europe. Um, so what they ended up doing is the company that, that or the, the, the founders of that company ended up fi- founding another firm called deliver to mac And if you go to Deliver2Mac.com, you can actually buy and download games that have been published by Virtual Publishing. And it works pretty much the same way as what Gamerhood does now. So um, th- those are two examples of, of systems that... Um, that 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 uh, you know works similarly, but um, uh, th- there are other uh, you know ways that people are getting Mac games online as well. Mac Game Store, for example, which is an outgrowth of the work that the folks at Inside Mac Games have been doing for a while now, um, gives people a place to to buy games. All the stuff that they've been trafficking in, in terms of paying for and downloading on the spot, has been casual games. But Mac Game Store also gives you a way of buying boxed um, commercial games. So I have no doubt um, that as Gamerhood gets closer to launch, we'll probably hear more both from Deliver to Mac and from Mac Game Store. And, uh, you know, it would be nice to see other companies uh, step on board with, uh, with systems, too. What I'd really like to see happen, though, is just have one place where you can get all this stuff, whether it's from Gamerhood or Mac Game Store or somewhere else. Uh, you know, rather than have a million different services, kind of like Napster and iTunes and, you know, MSN Music or whatever, um, just have one system that you're using for... Uh, um, for, for game downloads. It sounds like Aspire is pretty amenable to working with uh, third parties. They said that when they launch the this, this system, it's going to be primarily Aspire titles that are going to be available, but especially on the casual game side, you know, they're interested in building up a casual games catalog. That's not something that they've got a lot of in-house stuff for, so um, chances are we'll be seeing them make deals with other companies as well. And you know, if if uh, some of the other big players in the Mac game scene, like uh, MacSoft or um, Feral Interactive, um, can step forth and make deals with Aspire, the more the merrier, as far as I'm concerned. The important thing is that it's easy for Mac game uh, players to find the games that they want to play. Great. Well, I'm sure as as Gamerhood gets closer to launch, we'll be hearing more from you. So. Again, I appreciate your taking the time to be on the podcast. No problem at all, Saroos. Thanks for having me. All right. We'll talk to you again soon, Peter. Okay. Well, that just about wraps up the show. Uh, we got three interviews in there for you. Macworld Podcast number 44. Uh, it's a lot of information to digest, but I hope that... Uh, 
Hope that you're able to follow it all. And of course, you know, being a podcast, you can just rewind it and listen to it again if you want. Or not even rewind. I guess turn the iPod scroll wheel or move your slider on iTunes or however it is. Anyway, uh, so that about wraps things up for me. Of course, there's been some other news that you might have been able to follow at Mac Central. There was the new announcement, the replacement to the eMac, uh, which is, of course, the new low-end iMac that is really geared at uh, the education market, particularly students and teachers and, and folks in that area. As well as uh, we've got some new stuff from Mac User that we've been posting about this week. Just yesterday, in fact, there was the new beta candidate for Firefox version 2.0. And as a Firefox uh, lover, I was interested to see some of the changes that they've been uh, been bringing forward. One really neat one that they have actually is the ability to do spell check right in web forms. So, you know, if you're a blogger or if you're somebody who posts to message boards, uh, Firefox will actually run a spell check on everything you type as you type it. Um, similar to how Microsoft Word does underlines under things when you type them, if they're misspelled, Firefox can do the same thing. Uh, and that's a really useful thing, just so you don't look like a total idiot when you misspell things online, because it happens to the best of us. Um, unfortunately, being a beta candidate and being a new version of Firefox, your existing extensions uh, probably won't work with Firefox. I know mine didn't, um, so we'll have to wait another few weeks uh, at least for um, for the extension authors to get their act together and, and make it work with uh, Firefox 2.0. So that's kind of interesting. And, of course, there's all sorts of other news from around the Mac blogosphere available at MacUser.com. And don't forget also to check out our other family of Macworld websites, starting with Macworld.com, and you can branch out to MacOS10Hints.com, as well as our new blog, Macworld Gadget Box, available at Gadgets.Macworld.com. So, hope you enjoyed the show. Hope you found it useful and informative. And as always, you can send me feedback. Uh, my email address is cfaravar at macworld.com. We also do appreciate audio comments if you want to send in those as well. Uh, just attach that to the email and uh, send it along. Also, feel free to leave some messages in our discussion forum. Uh, we have a little button down at the bottom of the show notes where you can uh, add to the discussion. And uh, we would appreciate that as well. Also, don't forget, there's a Frapper map, which is a Google map sort of version of a pushpin map where you can go on there and say, I'm listening in this place. And you can see where your various uh, Macworld podcast listener colleagues are listening around the world. And we've got listeners all over the place in Australia and Europe and South Africa and all kinds of wacky places. So don't forget to go and add your name to the Frapper map. And that link will be in the show notes, of course, if you haven't already done so. So um, that about wraps it up for me. And we'll catch you again next time right here on the Macworld Podcast. Signing off from San Francisco, this is Saru Faravar for the Macworld Podcast.